is at the end of the day, it's all about human relationships, not just superficial meeting with people and that kind of thing. It's really, you know, asking the questions as a coach, it's all about asking the questions. It's not, it's not telling people what to do, uh, but being able to extract and understand what, you know, their challenges are, what their pain points are and continuing to, you know, drill deeper and identify them not the problem, but the solutions to be able to get them to where it is that they truly want to be. Are you looking for true personal freedom? The freedom to design the life you truly desire? Then you're absolutely in the right place. True personal freedom comes from when you take 100% responsibility and control of your money and your mind. Here, you're going to learn ideas, tips, and wisdom that's going to help you bridge the gap from where you are now to your dream life in the future. My name is Randy Wilson, and welcome to the Rich Mind Podcast. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Rich Mind Podcast. And today, coming to you with another fantastic guest. Today, I have with us Jim Gardner. Jim Gardner is out of the Dallas Fort Worth, Texas area. He's actually the father of two adult children with five grandchildren, with one on the way, from what I understand. So congratulations on the one on the way. I don't know if you know if that's a boy or a girl, but that's always an exciting time for sure. He's a mental performance coach and creator of the Warrior Performance Creative, where he helps high-level athletes, uh, professional athletes, C-level executives really hone in on their performance, their preparation to really gain the skills, gain the awarenesses in their uh, lives to perform better on their day-to-day tasks. He's also a best-selling author uh, and also the board chairman of of the Adaptive Training Foundation, which I'm super excited about that. A little bit about that Adaptive Training Foundation was in a book uh, that he was part of. This is the uh, best-selling book, the Success Habits book. And just a little brief thing about the Adaptive Training Foundation. It's where veterans and civilians who were born with or have experienced physical impairment learn to defy impossible through physical fitness, mindfulness, and community. Just that one little sentence. That's that's super cool. So I'm excited about getting into that part of the conversation as well. Uh, but first of all, Jim, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Randy. Uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just so thankful that you and I have had the opportunity to become friends. And we'll probably get into it a little bit later. But I think, you know, God has a way of connecting the paths of people who can, you know, support one another and make the world a better place. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. 100%. So a little bit of backstory just about us, right? We're part of a, a mastermind. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but it seems like every time we get so that there's it's open seating when you arrive, right? We always seem to be sitting close to each other, if not right next to each other. And we just had another example of that just in the last couple of weeks. And this is where it spawned the invitation, right, for you to come on the show and in this conversation we're going to have today. But I don't know if you've noticed that or not. But yeah, we've had probably four or five instances where we're literally sitting right next to each other. Have you noticed that? Yes, I, I have. And, and I think to a degree, we're creatures of habit. So, uh, you know, we, we find a place that seems comfortable and, and we stick with it. So, uh, so yeah, it, uh, you know, presented the opportunity for us to be here today. So that's awesome. Yeah, super excited about that. So to start off with, can you give the listener a little bit of background about yourself? Can you just kind of give a few minutes of a little bit of your backstory? Sure. Uh, I was uh, born and raised in Wichita, Kansas, and um, uh, got down here to Texas just as soon as I could. I uh, <laughs> I had the opportunity to do some traveling, actually, when I was pretty young, and we can get into that in a little while, but uh, uh, traveled the southeast United States quite a bit uh, and had decided that I either wanted to... Uh, to live in Atlanta, Georgia, or Dallas, Texas. And it just so happened that Dallas happened to open up first. And uh, so I've been here since 1982. Uh, so this is this is home. Um, again, you know, maybe a little bit later, we'll get into a few more details. But um, I commuted to Boston <clears throat> virtually every week for 10 years, as opposed to moving. And uh, did the same thing for uh, 13 years to San Francisco and really kind of all over the world from here. But uh, this is home. My 
my roots are here and have been for a while and uh, and i love it here but um but yeah as you mentioned i've got uh, two adult children i uh, can't even believe it i was telling somebody just the other day i still remember putting my daughter in the car seat at, at the hospital here in dallas and she turns 40 in september mm. so uh, and has her own family as well and then I uh, have a son who next week will turn 34 and he has a family. He's the one that uh, his wife, my, uh, my daughter-in-law has one in the oven. We do know that it's a girl. So that'd be two girls and one boy for them. And they're all excited. So, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, kind of going back a little bit as far as the backstory. And again, we can maybe dive in a little bit uh, deeper if you want, but um um, you know, I think like so many people that I know, unfortunately, <clears throat> came from uh, a uh, broken home. Uh, my parents, my parents divorced when I was 10. My mom um, had some challenges and decided she didn't want to be with my, my dad any longer. And he soon after moved from Kansas to the Denver area and started a new family. And uh, so that uh kind of left me and, and my two younger sisters uh, there alone for the most part. And since I was a little bit older, uh, ended up taken to the streets and um, led a, a uh, crazy, insanely dangerous life for almost seven years. And uh, so all of that was, was the foundation, really the precursor that uh, would open doors and we can talk about that in a minute as well but uh you know ultimately got me here to where i am today that's awesome so i know those challenges back in those seven years that you mentioned and and one part of the story that i i've i've seen that you've said is that miraculously you never were you never really got caught you never really had that uh moment where it's like oh, the wake-up call right it's like maybe i'm on the wrong path uh, is that really kind of how I read it or how I've seen? Yeah, that that was a big part of it. Um, honestly, uh, just I, I really didn't care. I mean, I, I just was, you know, whatever happened, happened. But, um, you know, growing up where I did uh, in the part of Wichita that I grew up in, uh, you know, you, you just kind of knew everything that was going on. And uh, so we would even sometimes taunt the cops just for something, you know, a little extra, a little icing on the cake. And uh, I mean, you know, it was everything from, you know, dealing drugs to grand theft, um, you know, arson, everything you can imagine. And, you know, we it was kind of interesting. And, and this, too, I think helped you know, in, in later years, but, um, we, we did plan things out. We would surveil something that, uh, uh, you know, that we were looking at, uh, you know, taking advantage of in one way or another, and we would take our time and just kind of see what traffic flows were. And, you know, when, when, the, when the police or cops were uh, around in that area and when they weren't. And, um, so, but, but I do have to, to give ultimate credit, I, I, I guess, uh, in one way to, to God himself. I didn't know God at the time, but as I say, nowadays, he knew me and, you know, he could have possibly taught me a valuable lesson had I gotten caught, but it obviously would have changed the trajectory, trajectory, you know, of my life. And obviously that wasn't his plan. So, uh, so yeah, made Made it through unscathed, close calls, but uh, yeah, and created a skill set that that has actually proven to be valuable in the marketplace as you've gotten older, which is super super cool. Which we'll definitely get into that as well. Sure. Well, let's dive in real quick to the three questions. I always love asking the same three questions to my guests. It's always a lot of fun. I always enjoy hearing what the answers are. Right, everyone's a little bit different, and it's always a lot of fun. Uh, to see where the conversation goes from these first uh, three questions here. But the first one is, is who's had the biggest influence on your life, Jim? So without a doubt, and as I said a moment ago, um, I didn't know him, but he knew me, and and that's Jesus Christ. Um, I, I consider myself, you know, from the perspective of a lot of friends, to be somewhat of a, a baby Christian. 
but uh, uh, found uh, found Jesus and and accepted Him as my Savior in 2011. And uh, so since then, you know, my life has just exploded from that standpoint with the people that I've met, the organizations that I've become involved in, you know, working with with a lot of other men, Christian men, uh, bringing people to Christ. And uh, it's just been phenomenal. But I do have to say, too, as part of his plan, um, and we, we touched on this a moment ago, what <clears throat> what enabled me to turn my life around was a high school teacher. I bounced along basically uh, through junior high and high school when when I attended. Um, as, as an example, I was called into the administrator's office uh, my sophomore year. It's about March time frame. And they informed me that I was failing every class and I was the most truant uh, student that they knew of. And uh, so what was I going to do about it? Um, and one of, one of the big things was that, uh, you know, I'm dyslexic. So, you know, it was a challenge to read, which made all the other subjects challenging as well. And I just thought I didn't want to be there. Um, but I knew for some reason I just had this innate sense that I needed to at least, you know, get my high school diploma. So I stuck with it as best I could. And uh, one day I was walking out of my U.S. government class and uh, my teacher was one of these guys who uh, just loved to tease the kids, poke fun at them, um, and uh, the kids loved him. And as I was walking out, he hollered my name. He said, Gardner, come here. And he had a podium in the front of the room. And uh, so I walked up there and he said, you know, I, I've heard the stories from the streets and I've observed you when you've been here. And he said, you're not going to live much longer. Uh, or if you decide to make some changes, you can change the world. Mm -hmm. And he said, have you thought about going to college? And I just laughed at him because that was the last thing in the world I wanted to do. And uh, anyway, for, for some reason um he just kept pressing and pressing and pressing for the rest of of that year and that was about halfway through that school my, my senior year in, in high school and so i did graduate with my class and i actually started college that following september um but uh you know it was interesting uh, probably about five or six years ago i was talking to a friend in new york and she, you know, was kind of asking my backstory. And so I'd shared that with her. And um, his name is uh, Mr. Louis Ballard, by the way. And so she said, you know, what does Mr. Ballard think of, you know, how your life's turned out? And I said, well, he doesn't know as far as I know. And she says, I'm giving you 90 days to get in touch with him and let him know what he did in, in your life. And I said, I don't know if he's even still alive. You know, when we're in high school, it's like our teachers, they might only be four or five years older than we are, but they seem like they're ancient, you know. And uh, so I took the challenge. This was like in January. Uh, so I had until, you know, sometime in March. And uh, so I called some friends who still live in Wichita. And some of them had run across him, you know, in the last few years, but not recently. And I just got you know, Uncle Google out and Googled his name. And uh, so there were there were two or three, but he's got kind of a unique spelling. And I noticed the address that was just within blocks of the high school and it had a phone number. And I called the phone number and he answered and I made sure it was him. And uh, he said, what do you want? And I said, well, I don't even know if you remember me, but, uh, you know, you literally saved my life. And I've written a book that, I, you know, where I talk about that. And I'm going to come to town tomorrow, which was going to be on a Friday. And I'd like to take you to lunch or dinner. And uh, he says, uh, well, call me when you get here. And he hangs up. <laughs> okay. So I got up to Wichita on, on Friday afternoon and I called him and uh, he said, well, first of all, let me apologize because you called me right in the middle of a Wichita State Shocker basketball game <laughs> and their 
they're in the Sweet 16, and they are my team, and I didn't have time to be interrupted by you. And uh, so anyway, I said, well, repeated, you know, I'd like to take you to lunch or, or whatever. And he says, how about coffee? And I said, okay. You know, let's meet for coffee. So, you know, what Starbucks would you like to go to? No, I want to go to McDonald's. And uh, so we agreed on a time, agreed on the on the McDonald's. And I got there a little bit before he did. And he described what he was going to be driving. And so I see him pull up and he comes in and I said, well, let me go buy you some coffee. And he said, you going to buy me any coffee. Why do you think I wanted to come to McDonald's? I'm a senior. I get it for free. <laughs> <laughs> So we sat down and, and started talking and I asked him, I said, why me? And he said, I have no idea. And uh, I found out then as well that he and his wife never had kids. Hmm. So, you know, it's just, that's why I say, you know, it was a God thing. That's how I look at it. And I had uh, taken him a copy of, of the book and uh, and had, you know, written him you know, how much appreciation and how grateful I was for what he did, whether he knew it or not. And um, I, he wanted, I can't, I can't remember, he wanted me to uh, write something. So I didn't have a pen with me. So I ran out to my truck to grab a pen and I came back in Well, he had read that and tears just streaming down his face. And uh, so it was, it was really worthwhile. And, and I have to thank my friend in New York as well for, you know, uh, making me realize the opportunity that I was missing to share with him what he had done. And uh, so, so yeah, that's uh, a little bit of a, a long way around, but uh, he, he literally, you know, saved my life, I believe, turned my life around um, and got me, you know, pointed in the right direction. And, you know, there were opportunities uh, after that for missteps and bad choices but I always kept in the back of my mind that I didn't want to disappoint him most of all. And uh, so that was really, you know, my, my anchor to, uh, to make better decisions going forward. That's a great story. I appreciate you going in depth in that. So I, I was a little bit familiar with that story, but that the coffee story and all that, that was new to me. That was fantastic. So you never know what one interaction, one conversation, one book, one program right this this podcast you just never know what somebody needs at that particular time and that's super cool whether he knew it sounds like he didn't even necessarily know what he was even doing but for the impact that it had on your life and then for us to be having this conversation today because he had that conversation with you know i mean when you when you look back and start connecting the dots as far as all the things that you've accomplished since that moment that's really fascinating really to think about where you are today based on that one man's conversation that he challenged you, right? He kind of just really, you know, put a foot in your ear and said, Hey, wake up, Jim, right. you got a decision to make, right? And you stepped into it. So congratulations to you to wanting to do that, to change that for yourself as well. That's super cool. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate it. So it's good to be here now for sure. Yeah. hundred percent. So, wow. So moving on from that first question, this second one and third is going to be a lot of fun too. So <laughs> if you can, so we've heard a little bit about the the upbringing and that type of thing. And so I'm curious to hear kind of where you take this second question, but what's been the biggest challenge of your life and what have you learned from that, Jim? Well, my adolescence and, and shortly, you know, after uh, Mr. Ballard really was uh, my biggest challenge as I look back and, you know, sitting here 66 years old now, I've covered a little bit of ground and uh yeah there have been some challenges but nothing as significant you know as as that time frame was um you know it was you know starting in the in the time frame of 1968 uh, we had uh, racial rights going on in town Wichita was much like Birmingham Alabama or some other cities where I mean it was really dangerous to be outside. We had curfews and so on, but you know we didn't pay any attention to that kind of stuff. And um, interestingly, most of my friends at the time were, were black, so I spent a lot of time in what we call the ghetto. We now call the hood. Um, and you know there were many many times where I was in situations that were literally you know uh, life or death could have been catastrophic. Um, but what I 
what I observed, and, and I think part of it's just, you know, the, the personality and nature that God blessed me with was that even within an instant, if I could figure out what it was that somebody really wanted um, that I could negotiate and, you know, save myself. And, you know, a lot of times in those situations, people are just triggered, whether it be from fear or, um, you know, they, they, they want to overpower or whatever the case. And, you know, sadly, many of those times, those individuals didn't survive. Hmm. And, uh, so seeing that, you know, people, even in the, the most, you know, chaotic circumstances, um, are still human beings. And if you can figure out how to relate to them, um, you know, in the moment, then you can you can make a lot of progress. So I saw that, and I saw it consistently. And you know, it, it, it was those challenges where you know, even within that, there were times where I lost hope. Um, I really, you know, couldn't see a way out. I was in this life, and um, you know, there there just didn't seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel. It was just going to be the same thing day after day. Um, you know, I, I was fortunate in that um, I had a grandfather and an uncle who, you know, were great mentors, but they had no idea what was going on, you know, most of the time in my life. But, um, but they did teach me a lot that, um, you know, helped me in life later on. But uh, for the most part, um, you know, it was pretty dark. And honestly, there were, there were, you know, times where I thought of taking my own life. And uh, again, you know, for whatever reason, God, you know, didn't, uh, didn't allow that to happen. Um, but, um, you know, not to repeat, but I did make it through that time frame of almost seven years. And, uh, was able to uh, to turn things around, but definitely the most challenging. Not having you know my my father after the time I was ten years old. Um, you know back then you got the mandatory two week visit in the summer, and that was about it. So um, you know even uh, up until the time of his death, when you don't have the opportunity to create that relationship when you're young, it's really really difficult for for it to happen. You know later in life, so. Um, even though my dad and I became close, it was more of like a friendship as opposed to a father-son relationship. So, you know, I feel like that, you know, that was a challenge in of itself that I just never really got the opportunity that I had hoped for. Yeah, for sure. Wow. That's super challenging as well. So I appreciate you sharing that too. Yeah. Fantastic. You're blowing me away with everything that you're sharing. This is this is uh, super valuable, right? So it's the lessons. It's the it's taking the hardship and turning it into a positive, which I know you've done uh, throughout your life, whether it was your corporate career or into your business that you developed and out to the foundation that you're a part of. But so yeah, that's I appreciate you sharing that as well. So kind of talking about kind of on that same thread as far as you've mentioned about all the the uh, challenges that you had in that high school-ish time frame, right? Right around uh, senior year, getting into college. So one thing I always love to ask is, you know, if you could look backwards, right, from what you know now, if there was a just a nugget of wisdom, and you've already shared a ton of them with us already today. So I'm going to pull, I'm going to try to pull one more out of you, Jim. What do you wish you would have known back then that you've obviously, you know, fast forward to where you are today? Is there anything that you just really wish you would have known then that, uh, it could have even have, have changed things even maybe a little bit more faster than what is has transpired. Anything like that at all for you? Well, sure. Um, as you know, I've hit this button two or three times already. I, I wish that I had known God. Um, and and you know, to give a little bit of credit, I, my both of my grandmothers were what I call church ladies. I mean, they were active in their churches. Uh, my grandfathers didn't really attend. My parents went some when you know, when they were together, but I, I really didn't know what any of that meant. And um, so, yeah, I, I wish that um, that I had known God and been close to him. I think it, you know, would have changed the trajectory, um, but I don't know that I would have learned the lessons that I learned going through the fire. 
so I'm I'm grateful for the way that things have turned out. But um, but yeah, that um, you know was probably the the biggest thing. Yeah, that's great. So fast forward a little bit into your, uh, you know, I know you didn't necessarily finish college. I can, I raised my hand on that too, right? I went, but I didn't necessarily make it all the way, but you know, hey, we can all make it out there in the real world as well. So you were engaged with, uh, obviously in the corporate world, right? Training, coaching, uh, some of the, and I didn't realize this, you, you brought this to my attention. Some of the uh, big name corporations are founded or were formed in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, and you can probably rattle off those names better than I can. So I'll let you do that if you'd like. But at the same time, so you were, you kind of got engaged with a mentor that started to open up doors and to introduce you to multiple different things in the corporate world, which led you into coaching and training and that type of thing. So I would love for you to kind of talk about that transition going from this uh, moment where this gentleman basically gave you an ultimatum. It's either you need to shape up or we're going to have to figure out what's going on. And then obviously you've, you've blossomed in the corporate world. Uh, so can you kind of talk about that transition a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in, in starting college, uh, because of the whole reading issue, I, I decided to go into engineering. I, I thought maybe I wouldn't have to read quite so much as if, uh, if I went into, you know, something else my my best friend actually went into political science and i said no way you know <laughs> so uh but anyway uh, got into engineering well of course no matter what your focus is going to be when you're first starting out you've got to take the basics but you also have to have some electives and so i took this elective called entrepreneurship and mm-hmm. So the professor of that class, a guy named Ron Christie, was really kind of the next mentor. And so a few weeks after class had started, he shared with me that he had been named the associate director of what they had just put together um, with the Adena Business School uh, called the Center of Entrepreneurship. And it was actually the first one on a on a uh, university campus in the U.S. And uh, so... Um, I was like, what does that mean? And he said, well, you know, we're going to bring people together. You know, we've got a lot of resources here in Wichita. And, you know, just to cover those bases a little bit. So, that yes, that's where Pizza Hut was founded in 1957. Um, a little tiny old flower shop liquor store that two brothers uh, were gifted to uh, try this thing called Pizza. That uh, uh, Coleman Outdoor Products. Um, Beach Aircraft, Cessna Aircraft, Learjet, just because those founders happened to live there in town. Mm-hmm. And um, Rena Center's another one. So a guy named Tom Devlin, who founded Rena Center, used to, I used to play basketball with him at the YMCA every day at lunch. And so he was another mentor as well. But, uh, but yeah, so all of those things going on. And uh, so uh, what, what my professor, Ron, um, and, and the dean named Fran Jabara, I decided to do was to bring these people together. They had consulted with a number of them in their own businesses for various business challenges, but now for them to give back. So for people who had, you know, fledgling businesses or business ideas, they could come to the center and get coaching and counseling, you know, from these titans who, you know, had obviously made it, made it big. And so I asked him, so what am I supposed to do? And um, he said, well, just come and, you know, we'll kind of figure it out. And I had enough engineering and a little bit of computer science, at least uh, that's what we called it back in the day, uh, with with things like assembly language and Fortran and COBOL, things nobody hears about these days. (laughs) Anyway, so I, I, you know, came in and, you know, just observed for a little while and saw that they were doing these pro formas for these people to help them, you know, do financial forecasting and probability and that type of thing. But they were using TI calculators and ledger pads and pencils to do this, and it would take them forever. And so I told uh, Dr. Jabbar, I said, you know, there are these things called computers, you know, we have them here on campus, but I said also there are these new little computers that uh, Radio Shack makes one and there's this brand new company called Apple 
and they make them as well. And they can do this kind of stuff for you. And uh, so anyway, I'll try and shorten it up a little bit, but um, I went with him to, uh, to buy two Apple computers and the software to go with it. So spreadsheet, word processing, a little database application. And uh, so as soon as, as uh, he bought, bought them, I said, well, why do you need two? And he said, well, I'm going to take one home. And you're now hired to come over and help my son Harvey and me learn how to use this every Saturday morning. And it's like, oh, my gosh. So anyway, that that's how it happened. And then um, Dan Carney and his brother, uh, Frank, founded Pizza Hut. And Frank saw, you know, kind of some of the things that I had done there. And in the meantime, I was working part time for McKesson Pharmaceuticals and um, had uh, worked through basically their entire operation starting out interestingly enough legally delivering pharmaceuticals to uh to the pharmacies and hospitals around town uh you know hauling pure cocaine that friends found out it's like come on man and it's like no can't can't go back to that stuff anyway worked my way uh up through and and ended up in in their uh data processing department and and uh, so i'd learned some uh, kind of remote technology there. And uh, so uh, Frank Carney's like, we have 4,000 stores around the world. This was 1978 and everything is completely manual. We have nothing automated. We have to automate. So I want you to come join this small team that we're putting together and see what we can do. And uh, so there literally was no such thing as POS at the time. We were taking you know, cash registers that you'd find at Sears or, you know, JCPenney's or places like that, working with IBM and NCR and trying to develop some hardware as well as some software that, you know, would be viable in a restaurant. And uh, so um, that that was kind of where it all started. But that's another example of where a door opened into the corporate world. Uh, and uh, gave me the opportunity to uh, join that team and work with those guys. And that's where I started traveling Southeast United States. There were four of us and uh, we each had a quadrant. And so we would, you know, work with the various vendors in our particular area, uh, but we would also go out to regional offices and even stores and test different prototypes and that type of thing. And uh, so I was traveling so much that my Fortran professor came to me one day and he said, you're going to fail this class, um, but I know you can, you know, write every piece of code that we would ever want you to, you know, blindfolded. So you're never going to get a chance in business like you have right now. My suggestion is that you quit school. You can always come back sometime but take advantage of this opportunity that you have. And so I did, so I didn't flunk out. And um, so I uh, continued on with Pizza Hut and uh, developed the, the, the baseline, essentially, for point of sale uh, for them. Well, then my entrepreneur uh, professor comes back. He owned some furniture stores that were based out of Boulder, Colorado, where they manufactured furniture and had retail stores in Colorado, Kansas, and Texas. And um, he says, uh, whatever Frank's paying you, I'll pay you more. I want you to be the general manager of, of my uh, furniture company and automate it. And uh, so uh, so that was another door that had already been open, but certainly not in that capacity. And uh so I went to work for, for Ron for a couple of years and actually came down here to Dallas for furniture market and um, met a guy uh, by the name of Joe Glover, who had been Ross Perot's personal assistant at EDS. He was graduated at the top of his class from the Naval Academy and uh, was a Marine, was part of the Iranian hostage uh, extraction back in the day and just a really well-versed guy. and probably learned more about business from him than just about anybody. But they were starting a, a, a new technology startup company that was really kind of a precursor to the internet. 
Um, and this was 1982. And so he convinced me to move to Dallas and and go to work for them. And, and uh, so again, it was just a, another door that opened purely on relationship. And uh, so, you know, I could go on, but um, it's it's just been that that has been the most valuable lesson in my entire life that I share with my clients that I share with everyone is at the end of the day it's all about human relationships not just superficial meeting with people and that kind of thing it's really you know asking the questions as a coach it's all about asking the questions it's not it's not telling people what to do uh, but being able to extract and understand what you know their challenges are what their pain points are and continuing to you know drill deeper and identify then not the problem but the solutions to be able to get them to where it is that they truly want to be and you know they find that you know hey this this guy's really interested in helping me you know and you know even going back to frank carney he shared so much with me because i was just like a sponge i was trying to you know learn everything i could from him but at the same time support his mission and uh so, you know, I think, unfortunately, especially, you know, the last few years um, in our society here, COVID was, was not a help in that case, but we, we've become too superficial. We, we don't engage people um, as human beings and uh, really dive into what they're all about and what their needs are and, you know, how we can best serve them. I, I feel like that you know, our purpose uh, for each of us, uh, that God has placed us here on, on this earth to be of service. Um, that's that's the number one thing. We just have to figure out what it is that we can do to provide that and how best to serve it up to different people. Yeah, that's fantastic. So all of that experience, we've, we've talked about the journey of, of being a youngster, right? All the challenges that came with that, which led to the opportunities through relationships through uh, this journey of in this corporate world of, I mean, pre-internet, right? I mean, I'm I'm in my uh, late 40s. I'm almost 50, so I remember pre-internet. Uh, some of our listeners may not even know what that even means or what life was like prior to uh, a phone or even this computer that you and I are talking on today. I mean, imagine what. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to think back, life uh, back then. And to think that you had a hand in a lot of those uh, businesses, you know, well-known brands that we know today at the beginning port, part of basically creating, like you said, the point of sale systems, right? That's what POS stands for. Uh, that's super cool. Uh, yeah. So which led you then to, you know, I know you kind of uh, went down the corporate journey. You were, you were doing the corporate thing, helping folks, creating the these POS systems. And, and you, it sounds like you might have gotten a little bit burned out. I'll let you kind of answer that as far as the travel and the wear and tear on the family and even yourself, I'm sure, which led you then to create and start out on your own as far as your warrior performance uh, collective, your training program, where you now you help uh, high-level athletes, top-level C, you know, C-level folks. Uh, really get clear on performance. Uh, one word that came to mind, everything that I've read, everything that I've listened to with you is uh, preparation. Preparation was a big word that I kept seeing over and over and over uh, as I was preparing for this call today, no pun intended. So uh, can you talk a little bit about your transition then uh, from the corporate world now into your coaching with your clients, uh, kind of what you see as far as like, what are some nuggets of wisdom that you might be able to share with folks as you've seen people that are performing at a very high level, but then taking it to the next step or the next level? Have, is there anything that, that, you know, some common things that you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the way that that really came about, I'd mentioned that I commuted to Boston for, for 10 years. And that was with Fidelity Investments and then uh, was recruited away by Levi Strauss. So that was the San Francisco 
gig and that was a global role so i had employees all over the world um our asian headquarters was singapore european headquarters was brussels belgium and um you know something's going on somewhere 24 hours a day so after you know 23 years the combined organizations of all of that it's like man there's just got to be more to to life but the one thing that i enjoyed really the most was was truly you know building my people and uh, one of the things that um, that I had put together was that they uh, each had, all of my direct reports had to do a annual plan, and that plan was purely focused on personal development. I don't care what you're learning in skills; you've got enough skills to get to where you are. Um, but what are you doing to develop yourself? What are you doing to prepare yourself for the future? Um, tomorrow is not a given, whether that's life itself or whether that's, you know, the next step in your career or whatever. So how are you preparing for that? And most of them have never thought about it. You know, it's just we get in the hamster wheel and it's one day after another. They're they're all the same and so on. And it's like, you know, why, why we don't have to live that way. We don't have to have that mindset, uh, which is really mediocre in my opinion. Um, so you have the capability to be better. Everyone does. And it's just a matter of, first of all, being mindful about it and then, uh, being intentional about what you're going to do about it. So, um, finally, you know, it, the last couple of years I was at Levi, I was like, um, you know, I've got to wind this down somehow or another. And actually my director of finance had uh, left just before I did. And um, his son was a physician in LA and he realized that people go to med school to become good doctors, not to learn how to manage a practice or the business aspects of, of being a doctor. So he uh, decided to be a financial coach for doctors. And he called me one day and he said, you know, you have to think about being a coach because, you know, you really have helped all of the people that you've had, you know, um, working with you over the years and, and they've all benefited from it. And um, it's like, eh, I don't know. And so a few months later, um, a guy named John Maxwell, who a lot of people probably are familiar with, actually gave the message in my church uh here in the Dallas area and had the opportunity to meet John and talk with him for a minute. And he was just uh, starting at that time, uh, what he called the John Maxwell team that has gone on and now has tens of thousands of, of people that have become certified under that program. But I was really fortunate um, in that, okay, this is the second time this coaching thing's come around. It's in God's house. So maybe I ought to listen. And so I, I took John up on his offer and was actually in the first uh, group that went through uh, that whole program and quickly realized, you know, I don't want to be John Maxwell. I'm not John Maxwell. He's got great material and, and I, you know, use a lot of it, but uh, I've got to find my own lane. And during the um, the prior years uh, to my leaving corporate, my daughter um, had become uh, ultimately a uh, inter internationally ranked golfer, and uh, so looking at all that she went through because she didn't necessarily have you know the natural talents that you might think she she was one who had to drive and work hard and practice and prepare. But the fact that she had a full swing coach, um, a guy named Hank Haney, who was Tiger Woods' coach for a while. Um, she had a short game coach named Dave Pell. She had a nutritionist. She had a, a, a fitness professional. She had a sports psychologist. And um, so, you know, I saw the integration of all of those resources and how they really built her to become the athlete that she did become. Um, made sense. And it's like, you know, there are a lot of people who could really use this type of thing if they were aware of it and if they knew where it was available. So that's how I really kind of ultimately, you know, went into the lane of the performance coaching. And the fact that <clears throat> it all really starts with the physical. Um, and, and that I learned even going back 
you know, to my adolescence. Um, one of the things, and I, it's a, another story for another time, but um, I fell in love with motocross. And I, you know, didn't have the means, you know, to, to do that other than theft. And so through that, um, bought motorcycles and raced motocross, uh, ultimately for about 10 years uh, through all of that. And then even into college a little bit. But, um, you know, it's, it's a very strenuous sport. And I quickly realized you have to be in shape. You have to prepare. And so that's really since I was 15 years old, where, you know, I learned and appreciated the physical fitness, not just being healthy, but being physically fit uh, was very important. And, um, you know, I break that down into four elements and, you know, more detail for another time, but it really starts with sleep and, uh, you know, getting the right amount of sleep, getting effective sleep uh, so that your body and your mind are rested. And then uh, followed by that is hydration. And most of us here in the U U.S. are dehydrated and we don't even realize it. Um, and then nutrition and then movement. And if we don't have those four things really in succession, the sleep is the foundation, then we are not able to perform at our optimum level, either physically or mentally. It, it impacts us cognitively. So if we think we're going to go out and set the world on fire with whatever it is that we may want to do in our career, um, it may happen, but it's not going to happen to the level that it could um, if you put those processes into place and put that preparation into place. But <clears throat> so working with my clients, we, we focus on the physical, then we get into the mental. And the foundation for the mental is uh, um, is the physical. And then we get into emotional. And then uh, what I've uh, really brought out recently is social. Um, and social, like I said a few minutes ago, is so critically important for us as human beings. And it all then kind of comes full circle and, and builds upon itself. But, um, you know, those are the aspects that I work with uh, both my executive and athlete clients on. And you would think, you know, athletes, well, they're, they're going to be fit. You know, they're in shape. Well, they are for their particular um, sport but they're not necessarily well-rounded and should, you know, or whenever they end their sport, then what are they good for? Um, so, you know, helping them have that appreciation for, you know, being uh, a little more well-rounded, like I say, but it also actually enhances what it is that they, you know, are currently doing and um, having a better overall perspective, you know, on, on that. That's that's the question I was going to ask you is that you've got these high level athletes like so I'm I'm thinking of basketball, baseball, football, it doesn't really matter what sport probably, right? But they've maybe they've lived up to that point solely on their athletic ability, maybe that's their size, you know, their gifts, their physical gifts. Can you think of is there an example like or one maybe one thing that like really hits home to them to make them realize that the sleep the nutrition, the hydration, all of the other things, maybe the what they don't consider maybe the the most important part. But in actuality, it is the most important part, right? It's the foundation to be able to build upon those physical abilities to then take themselves to the next level. Can you think of an example of someone that, yeah, they had all the physical gifts in the whole wide world, but when they applied some of these little, maybe uh, what they might have thought of as a little bit lesser important things right and then to be able to even take it their their performance like you said it will enhance not only how they feel but how they perform can you think of anything specific that that you've been able to help someone with yeah um and, and i always work with people on three of three as i call it so um we're going to work on three elements of improvement and then within each of those three there are three kind of micro elements that we'll focus on so um had a, a client that was an NFL wide receiver, um, and uh, he, you know, was pretty much at the top of his game, but still, you know, wanted to, to be able to perform, you know, even a little bit better. So started working with him on, I mean, this, is, this was both physical and mental. So 
Have you ever thought about looking at the defensive backs that you are trying to outmaneuver as actually trying to mentor them to become better defensive backs? And he's like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> and, but then he started to get it, you know, because if he felt like that he was trying to teach them a lesson um, in the way that he moves, the routes that he runs, even the little micro movements that may throw somebody off, then he became better. And they might become better too, which, you know, is, is good as well. Um, so it was those physical aspects, but it was then the mental preparation of having that different mindset that I'm going to go out and, you know, you know, show this, personal lesson, uh, you know, mentored them, so to speak, and uh, enabled him to enhance his game even further. That's cool. Yeah. I, I had a feeling that you probably had a, had a story there that would, uh, you know, people at that level, I mean, those of us that aspire to be athletes, right, at, at right. the highest level, and maybe can't comprehend the physical giftedness that it takes to to perform at that level, but it all still comes down to the preparation, right? The mental mindfulness, all the different things that you're talking about, the sleep, the hydration, which is, which is super cool. So bringing it all around full circle, I know right now, uh, one big thing that you're super passionate about is the adaptive training foundation. So you've taken all of the skills, all of the, so there again, connecting the dots, looking backwards, right? It's super cool to know that you've, you've taken all of these experiences, the ups, the downs, the trainings, the coachings, and now you're really uh, focused, right, on giving back to a community of folks that physically might not be as capable of others that, have, that might not be, uh, you know, with different limbs uh, issues, that type of thing. I'll let you describe a little bit more in depth about what that's about. But I know you're super passionate about before we hit record today, you talked about a, a walk coming up, right? So this recording is just before Memorial Weekend of 2023. And you were talking about a, a charity walk that's coming up here in the next week. But take a few minutes, talk about the Adaptive Training, Training Foundation that, that you're uh, a board uh, chairman of, uh, what you guys do there, uh, how it's impacted lives, and just all the greatness that you guys are doing there. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to. It's uh, what I call my passion project. Uh, but again, it, it started with a God connection, um, a friend of mine by the name of Chad Hennings, who some may recognize, played for the Dallas Cowboys back in the day with Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith and, and so on, um, introduced me to a young man who's young enough to be my son. He's 37 years old, and uh, he played in the NFL. An incredible story himself, uh, you know, playing football through the NFL. But played for five years, uh, ended up uh, having his shoulder blown out, got hooked on opiates in the, in the recovery process, um, had a TBI, traumatic brain injury. So once uh, once they reach five years in the NFL, then they get their full pension. And so he had gotten married in the meantime. And it's like, okay, I've done enough. I'm out. I want to have a, you know, have a family and have a, you know, reasonable life. So, um, he, he and his wife moved here to the Dallas area. Her parents had, had moved here previously, and they decided this would be a good place to raise a family. So he started a gym in Dallas, uh, training prospective um, college player, prospective NFL players that were in college for the NFL combine and that type of thing. And so this friend that I told you about before we went live, uh, the Navy SEAL, former Navy SEAL, invited uh, him to an event where he had some other veteran friends that were going to be there. And so David um, uh, Vibora is the guy's name who started the, the uh, Adaptive Training Foundation that I was just talking about, is he was a linebacker. And so he's like 6'4 and, you know, 260, somewhere in that neighborhood uh, in his playing days and a personality even bigger than that. And uh, so he sees this guy across the room that doesn't have any arms or legs. And he goes running over to him and says, uh, when's the last time you thought about getting in shape? And the guy looks at him and says, you know, I don't have any arms or legs. Uh, how would you go about doing that? And David says, come to my gym and we'll figure it out. 
And Sergeant Travis Mills looks at him and says, uh, have you ever worked with anybody like me? And David said, no, but we'll figure it out. So Travis showed up and um, they started working together from a physical standpoint. And uh, Travis's big fear was uh, falling because if he fell over, he couldn't get up. He said, I'm not like a weeble. I don't bounce right back up, you know? <laughs> so they started working on core strength and that kind of thing. And um, I'll, I'll make it a little bit shorter, but, you know, once someone starts to see what they can do physically that they thought was not possible, either in their own head or had been told that by traditional med- medicine, um, that's what they believe. And when they see and prove to themselves that they actually can do some of these things, then it changes their mindset. And uh, so uh, fast forward a bit, coming up in September, uh, the organization will be nine years old. And uh, I met David in 2016. So I've been with the organization a good while. And when Chad had introduced David and I, David said, just, you know, come to the facility on a Friday and check it out. And it actually happened to be at this Navy SEALs place where he trains uh, special forces, where he had given David a little bit of space to start working with these guys. And so I showed up and I'm telling you, it is the most inspirational experience that you might have in a long time. And it's addictive because you truly do see see people um, and, and it's not just veterans, but it's also now civilians, uh, people that, um, you know, have uh, had strokes or uh, are living with Parkinson's or MS or these types of things. And, you know, we, we can show them what they truly can do to live a more enjoyable, productive life. And then, you know, again, that changes their mindset, but changes their family dynamic and it changes their um you know, their ability and desire to serve in their community. And the one thing before I forget that I want to put out there is that, you know, we, we see people who are different than we are. And in this case, it's, you know, physically. Uh, and we tend to avoid uh, connection with them because we don't know what to say. Um, you know, we don't want to feel awkward. We don't want to embarrass them or ourselves. And of the hundreds of people that I have literally uh, come into contact with out in the general public, outside of our organization over the last few years, I simply walk up and ask them what happened. And without exception, every one of them is more than happy to talk about what happened because people don't engage them and they're human and they want to have that connection. They want to you know, feel like people care about them. So just asking that basic question and they open up and, and start sharing things. And so we, um, at, at the gym now, uh, the first Friday of every month, we have what we call the sweatiest hour where we set up 10 to 12 workstations and we invite the public to come in, um, usually 100, 120 people. And we divide up into teams of six, and each team from the public has to have one adaptive athlete on their team. And so they uh, do battle ropes together. They do tire flips together. They uh, climb an inflatable raft and slide down that we have. But the the story that kind of hits home, we have a uh, Marine um, who was a former Kansas City police officer, and he got hit on his motorcycle uh, by a drunk driver and nobody found him for 10 hours and he virtually mm-hmm. bled out, lost his leg, uh, went blind because of the blood loss. And so he was participating in the sweatiest hour and we have this six foot wooden wall that as a team you climb over and you roll underneath and you do that as many times as you can in two minutes. And so Nate uh, is his name and he had his elbows up on top of that wall and his prosthetic leg falls off. Well, his, you know, team members from from the outside are like, oh, my gosh, what do we do? And I said, well, help the man put his leg back on. <laughs> you can do that. And I said, well, wouldn't you want somebody to help you? 
And so, you know, it's just an example of where, you know, we, we can do away with the stigma and realize that everybody is human and everybody can help. And as I said earlier, we are here to serve. So, you know, it's, it's a way to be able to do that. But as far as the organization goes, we do three nine-week classes each year. We do three 10-day hyper classes, as we call it, that um, primarily focus on uh, para-athletes. Um, but everyone becomes more athletic uh, going through the, the program. Um, we teach them mindfulness and meditation. And when we first opened that up about four or five years ago, uh, we had some veterans, Navy SEALs, Green Berets, and they're like, not doing that California woo-woo stuff. And um, so they did it anyway. And, <laughs> but by, by the time of their graduation, which we actually have a graduation ceremony uh, at the end of the nine weeks for each class, Without exception, they said it was the most powerful thing that they had ever learned to do. So we get into breathing and, you know, actual mindfulness and meditation. Um, the first 15 minutes of each class session and the last 15 minutes, you amp up to get ready and go out and work hard. And then you come back and dial everything back down. Um, but we get into nutrition and, and all the kind of holistic aspects. And so their, their lives truly are transformed. and. Uh, um, once they're a member of the organization, they're a member for life, and not one of them from day one has ever paid a penny to go through class. It's all privately funded. So uh, it's, it's just, um, as you can tell, I, um, I am passionate about it. I know you are, and I appreciate you sharing that. And, and I appreciate you going there as far as the, it's, you know, it's the people that attend. It's funded from the outside public, right? So it's donations. Right. Uh, people from all over the country. I, I think that I've, I've heard you say that, that some people from all over the world, right, are also part, part of it as well. Sure. So I know that there are uh, inspiring videos, uh, different places to go find out about uh, this foundation, that type of thing. Is there any details like that, places where we can send folks to learn more about the foundation? Yes, the, the website is adaptivetrainingfoundation.org. Uh, and there you'll uh, be able to see, you know, some of the previous classes, <clears throat> the, the class members that participated and, and so on. The, we, we, we really look at the organization as a laboratory. Uh, we continue to learn and develop. We've got a very small paid staff of about six people. Um, we have many, many volunteers from chiropractors to yoga instructors to uh, personal trainers and so on that volunteer their time. Um, they learn our program uh, so that they know how to work with people with, with different challenges. Um, and, and we don't call them disabled. We call them differently abled. And you'll find in our parking lot out in front that all of the handicapped spaces are empty because our, our athletes don't look at themselves as being handicapped. They'll save that for somebody else who really needs it. You know? Wow. So, uh, That's super cool. That's inspiring for sure. That's awesome. That's super good. Super cool, check, Jim. Check out the, the website. And, um, and we have been fortunate um, that uh, we've, we've had some major uh, organizations that have gotten involved and supported us over the years from Toyota to American Airlines, uh, Boeing Military Aircraft, Starbucks, uh, and a few others. But um, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to the individuals that, um, you know, see what it is that we do and the difference that we make and want to be a part of it. Building up people, building up families, communities, right? One ripple at a time. That's, yeah. that's kind of what the vision that I'm kind of seeing in my mind, which is... Uh, which is super cool. Which yeah, kind of and, reflects. And uh, I actually almost left out what I consider to really kind of be the most important part. So you've got the physical, you've got the mental, but then it's community. And so for the veterans, um, you know, they they knew what community was like when they were in service. Um, they had their brothers and sisters around them, and they had each other's back. They knew what that you know, a human connection was to, you know, be ready to give your life for, you know, the person standing to your left and to your right. Um, but that's gone uh, once they get back, and uh, especially if they're uh, physically challenged. 
And unfortunately, so many of us, as I kind of alluded to early in our discussion, um, don't socially engage at that level to look at one another as brothers and sisters. So it provides civilians that opportunity as well. And so it's that community that has continued to build over the years where, again, you know, I said that, uh, you know, once you go through class, you're a member for life. And I always tell people, once you walk through our front doors, that you're part of the tribe for life. So it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. And so the community has, has just been extremely powerful and valuable. That's super exciting. Well, so folks, I encourage you go out there, uh, look up the adaptive, adaptive training foundation.org, get involved, uh, check out the videos, check out the different uh, uh, material that they have to offer as far as uh, the different offerings that they're offer, helping folks overcome all these challenges, right? In their families, in their communities. Uh, but it's just super cool. It's super inspiring. If folks are out there right now saying, okay, Jim Gardner, that's a guy I need to get around, which I'm super fortunate to have had the opportunity to get to know you a little bit more over the last couple of years. And then over the last few minutes here, right? I've, I'm learning more about you uh, all the time. But if folks are, are looking to connect with Jim to get into that tribe that you're talking about, what are the best ways to find you, Jim? So my website is uh, warriorperformancecollective.com, and my email is jim at jimgardnerlive.com. So folks, get connected with Jim. As I mentioned, I've had the, uh, the fortune, fortunate uh, opportunity over the last couple of years that getting to know him, uh, learning more about the past he's been on. Uh, the challenges he's overcome, the successes that he's had, uh, the ability to help folks in challenging situations to overcome some obstacles, to see themselves in a better light is super inspiring. So I definitely in encourage you, get connected with Jim, find the, the Adaptive Training Foundation, and go out and check out his Warrior Performance Collective and see if you can't figure out different ways to bring your performance up to a higher level. So, Jim, I really appreciate your time today. This has been a fantastic conversation. Hopefully, one of these days, you'll be willing to come back on and, and tell us a little bit more, maybe even about more of those uh, pre-internet days. Those are the kind of stories that I want to hear more about, right? That's the life before the internet. I mean, it might disconnect some of the folks listening, but hey, it would be fun for me to kind of hear about those kinds of stories as well. So, hopefully, you'll be willing to, to jump back on here with us some other time, and we'll continue the discussion. Absolutely. Would love to. And thank you. I'm honored and really appreciate the, the time today, Randy. It's been fun. Definitely. Well, folks, as I mentioned, go out there, get connected with Jim. And I look forward to connecting with you all again very soon. Until the next episode. Bye now. Thank you for joining me on the Rich Mind Podcast. I hope you found a ton of value in this episode. If so, I'd really appreciate a five-star review. And you can also share it with your family and friends. And as my mentor, Jim Roden, shared with me, in order to have more, you must first become more. And in order to become more, you must work harder on yourself than you do on your job. So go out there today and work harder on yourself to become more and build the life of your dreams. Until next time, my friends.